Hello, and welcome to PwC's Accounting and Reporting podcast series. Our mission is to inform and educate accountants and other stakeholders on today's hottest accounting issues. I'm Heather Horn, a partner in our national office, and I'll be your host today. In today's episode, we'll talk about five things you need to know about the balance sheet classification of debt. It's perfect timing as companies wrap up their March 31 reporting. Suzanne Stefani, a director in our national office and a specialist in debt classification, will join me to talk about some of our most frequent and popular questions in this area. In addition, as many of you are aware, the FASB has a topic on its agenda related to balance sheet classification of debt, and we'll touch on that at the end. So let's jump into our discussion. So Suzanne, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, I'm looking forward to interesting discussion. I know this is an area that we get a lot of questions, especially this time of year, um, as people look at various circumstances around the balance sheet classification of debt. So let's kick things off with one of the areas where I think we get the most questions, which is what should I do if I violate a covenant at the balance sheet date? How should I think about that? Sure. So if you violate a covenant at the balance sheet date and there's no waiver and no grace period, then of course the debt would be current. But if you get a waiver, it's not automatically non-current. There's two conditions you have to think about. The first one is the waiver itself. The lender has to give up its right to force repayment for that particular covenant violation for at least 12 months from the balance sheet date, and that's pretty straightforward. But the one that some people sometimes overlook is the probability assessment. So you have to look at, is it probable that I'm going to fail this covenant or a more restrictive covenant again within 12 months from the balance sheet date? So if it's probable that the covenant won't be met in the future quarters within the 12 months from the balance sheet date, it's current even though a waiver was received. If it's reasonably possible that they will be met, then it's non-current. So for example, say I failed a working capital ratio at the end of the first quarter, so March 31st. If I get a waiver for that violation so that the lender loses its right to make me repay because of that violation, in some cases it's indefinitely, meaning they can't force me to repay because I failed at 331. But if they retain those covenants going forward for the future quarters, and I have to meet that same one again, say, on 630, if I think it's probable that I'm going to fail it on 630, then I have to make that debt current, even though I got the waiver. But if I think it's reasonably possible that I'll make the covenant for the next three quarters, then non-current would be appropriate. Okay, so when you're thinking about classification then, you're not just looking at this quarter, but you also have to look at any, I guess, of the future quarters within the 12-month period. Right, exactly. And the only way you could get around that, if you thought you were going to fail those covenants in the future quarters within the 12-month period, um, a company might ask the lender to amend the agreement so they don't have to meet those covenants in the future quarters of, as well. But, you know, sometimes lenders might not be willing to do that if the company isn't in a good financial condition or something. So it really depends on, you know, what you can um, work with your lender to do. Okay, good. Very helpful. So then let's go on to our next topic, which would be what if you have contractually short-term debt at the balance sheet date, but you're planning to refinance after the balance sheet date? How would that impact the classification of debt? Yeah, so of course, if you had just contractually short-term debt, so like debt that's due in six months from the balance sheet date, it would be classified as current. 
but it can be classified as non-current if you have both the intent and the ability to refinance it on a long-term basis. So what does that mean? Well, you can do it in two ways. You can either have a long-term issuance of debt or equity after the balance sheet date, or you could have a financing agreement that's in place by the time you issue the financials. So if I start with the first one, the long-term issuance of debt or equity, so that's a little more straightforward. So say I had debt that was due in six months from the balance sheet date, and I go out after the balance sheet date and take out new long-term debt and use that proceeds to pay off the short-term debt before I issue the financials, then the debt would be on current despite the six-month maturity. And the same thing if I took out equity to pay that debt. The one where we get more questions on, though, is financing agreements. So if you have a financing agreement in place before the financial statements are issued, you could potentially use it to get that, say, six-month debt to long-term, but you've got to meet certain conditions. The financing agreement has to be long-term. You can't have any violations of the covenants in that particular agreement. The lender has to be capable of honoring the agreement. And then the one that really um, holds a lot of agreements up is that it can't be canceled for any type of subjective reason, right? And the most of the focus and the questions we get are in this area because a lot of financing agreements have subjective acceleration clauses, so very common. Um, usually you see them as material adverse change clauses, so um, the financing agreement might have an event of default. It might just say any material adverse change in the business. It's pretty vague, right? So it's subjective. Another common one is that when you go to draw on the financing agreement, you might have to make a representation that there's been no material adverse change in the business, maybe since a certain date or something like that, like your last audited financials. So if the financing agreement had one of those, then you can't use it to get to non-current classification for the short-term debt. So just for example, if I had to get in the six-month term debt at the balance sheet date, say it was a million dollars, but I also had a long-term financing agreement in place, say at the balance sheet date, and I had unused capacity of, um, let's say, $5 million, so clearly more than the $1 million. A common question we would get is, can I use that financing agreement to get my six-month debt to non-current because I have all this capacity on the long-term agreement? And the answer is, it really depends. I mean. In most cases, the financing agreement is going to have some sort of material adverse change clause in it or a ref or something. And if you have that, then you can't use it to get to um, non-current classification. So the only w way would be if there was absolutely no subjective clauses in that agreement, which is fairly uncommon. So you're saying basically, Suzanne, if the lender is able to have any subjective reason to withhold the financing, then I can't use that to get to the long-term classification. Right, right, exactly. And then what if subsequent to the balance sheet date, I actually use that financing agreement to refinance the debt? Then it's, are you kind of back into your first yeah, scenario? Yeah, exactly. If you use it before you issue your financials, and it, then it's as if you've actually issued long-term debt. Right, yeah. and even back to your example of issuing long-term debt, or equity, just to clarify that, you have to actually use the proceeds to refinance the yes, debt. Yes, you do. Just having <laughs> cash on hand is not, not going to work. Okay, no. that's good. So that's very helpful and makes sense. But since we're talking about 
subjective acceleration clauses. I know we can often see those in any debt agreement, mm -hmm. any yeah. debt that's classified is contractually long-term. Mm -hmm. So how do you think about those clauses in that circumstance? Yeah, so it's a totally different model. So in this, this area I was just talking about when you're trying to get short-term debt to long-term or non-current with a financing agreement, it's a really high hurdle. You can't have a sack. It won't work. Um, but if you're outside of that model and you're just talking about um, contractually long-term debt, like say I have a term loan that's due in five years, um, just the mere existence of a sack in that agreement, it's not going to automatically make it be current. Um, at each balance date, you have to do a probability assessment to determine if you think it's probable that the lender is going to force repayment based on the material adverse change event. If you think it's probable of happening, then debt would be current. So there's a lot of judgment here. You're kind of trying to get inside the head of the lender to see what they may call a, SAC, a MAC or a SAC um, to get at your classification in that circumstance. Okay, so then just to summarize that topic, if you basically refinance the short-term debt before you issue financial statements, mm -hmm. whatever way you do it, yes. then it can be classified as non-current. Yes. And then if you have the ability to refinance and the lender has no way to withhold you from borrowing, so nothing subjective, yep. then you could also get to non-current. Yep. And then separately, if you're just looking at your regular contractually long-term debt, then you have to sort of think about this assessment is that, do you think there's any reason that it would get triggered right. in your classification. Exactly. Yep. Okay, so you can't ignore it completely, right. but not the same level. Of right, right, right. Okay, good. That's very helpful. So then with that, why don't we move on to our third topic, which would be puttable debt. And I know we get a lot of questions mm -hmm. on that. And so in those circumstances, how do you think about classification if the lender is able to force the company to repay the debt at a date earlier than its maturity date. So let's say its maturity date's in a few years, mm -hmm. but the lender has the ability to put it. Mm -hmm. What do you think, how do you think about classification? Yeah. So for puttable debt, usually what you should do is you'd, you should ask yourself at the balance sheet date, can the lender force me to repay this debt within the next year for any reason? If the answer is yes, then it's gonna be current. So puttable debt, you can have it for a variety of reasons. Some debt is, puttable anytime at the option of the lender, so due on demand. That, of course, is classified as current because the lender can force repayment at any time. Um, the one where we get some questions is contingently puttable debt, so it has a maturity date, but it can be, the lender can force you to repay it if some sort of contingent event occurs. So a really common one is a change in control. So debt puttable upon a change in control. Um, in these cases, the debt's only going to be current when the contingent event actually occurs. So it's not a probability assessment of determining when you think it's going to occur, but rather it's when the event actually occurs is when it flips to current. So for example, if you had debt at the balance sheet date, nothing occurred, the contingent event did not occur, but say it occurs after the balance sheet date, but before you issue the financials, doesn't impact classification. It's just it's an on-off switch at the balance sheet date. Okay, so then Suzanne, what you're saying is, if it's contingent, you only look at the events that occurred during the year up to the balance sheet date. Right. And then if it happens afterwards, I guess you would be thinking about disclosure, right, right, but not exactly. actually classification. Yep. Okay, mm -hmm. that's helpful. Okay, so then Suzanne, let's move to our next topic, where I know we get a lot of questions. 
which is when I'm the borrower and I have the option to prepay. So our last example was the lender could make me prepay. Mm -hmm. yep. Now I'm the one who has the option to prepay. How does that impact classification of the balance sheet date? Yeah, so again, when I'm thinking about classification, I would ask myself, what am I required to repay in the next 12 months? So the keyword is required. So with prepayments, like you said, they are at the borrower's option. No one is making them do it. it, it it's an optional prepayment. So we get a lot of questions when prepayments are made after the balance sheet date and if it should impact classification on the balance sheet date. Um, for example, if I'm at the end of Q1, so I'm reporting on, say, 331, and I prepaid my debt 15 days later, so April 15th. So a question would be, do I have to make that debt current at 331 because I repaid it on April 15th? And the answer is no, you want it because you made that payment voluntarily on April 15th. At 331, there was no requirement for you to do so, so it, the debt remains non-current at 331. Of course, there would probably be disclosures if it was a significant prepayment, but it wouldn't impact classification. So then, Suzanne, what if I wanted to classify it as current? I'm sure we see those examples. Mm -hmm. Do we object to that? Yeah, because it would violate the definition of a current liability. It's about what's required to be repaid. Okay, got it. So even if I've either paid it, I'm planning to pay it, whatever, uh -huh. to your point, I look at the balance sheet date, what am I required to repay, and that will be the determination of current. And actually, right. that applies in both circumstances, yeah. whether it's mm -hmm. the lender principle. who can put it onto me or if I'm going to option. Yeah, prepay. same principle thought process for those two. Okay, good. Yeah. It's been very educational and I know answers a lot of the questions we've been getting around classification of debt. Um, I do know though that the FASB has an ongoing um, project on its agenda for standard setting around balance sheet classification. Yep. So can you give us some background of that project and maybe some of what you think about the potential impact? Sure, yeah. So like you said, the FASB currently has a project to help simplify the classification of debt. Um, based on what we know today, under the proposed guidance, they're going to establish an overall classification principle that will look only at the contractual rights of the lender and the borrower that exist at the balance sheet date that you're classifying the debt for. So debt would be non-current if it's contractually due to be settled more than a year from the balance sheet date, or if the borrower has some sort of contractual right to defer settlement for at least one year from the balance sheet date. The key difference from today's guidance is it prohibits the consideration of events occurring after the balance sheet date, um, but it does give one exception for waivers kind of similar to what we have today. So you could still get a waiver after the balance sheet date for yes. the balance sheet yep. date. But yep. otherwise, it's at least what's proposed, mm -hmm. we think, would be only the contractual arrangements at the balance sheet date. Right, yep. Okay, yep. so then how would this proposed guidance change what we've just talked about today? Yeah, well we touched on one a bit, is the covenant waiver guidance. That's essentially gonna be the same. There's a few new conditions to think about to get to non-current, but it's essentially pretty similar. Um, the big one that's going away is um, the refinancing of short-term debt on a long-term basis after the balance sheet date. That's going away. So you couldn't, you know, like if you have that six-month debt, contractually doing six months from the balance sheet date, you couldn't go out after the balance sheet date and refinance it and get to non-current. You could disclose it, but 
which is not going to impact classification. So that's one of the bigger changes. The other one, we also talked a little bit about subjective acceleration clauses in contractually long-term debt, you know, where you have to assess probability and kind of get into the lender's mind there. Um, that's going away, which is now a model where you just, it's just going to impact classification when triggered. So if you have a SAC in a long-term um, debt arrangement, you don't assess probability, but if on the balance sheet date or before the balance sheet date, the lender has come to you and said, I am forcing you to repay this because of it, then that's when it would flip to current there. Um, the put, under the new. Under the new, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then the puts and the prepayments essentially stay the same. That's all because they were already focused on rights at the balance sheet date. Um, so those are the major um, differences. Um, what to look out for is they're going to be issuing an exposure draft. They did issue an exposure draft several years ago, but there's been many board discussions after that, so they decided to re-expose, um, and I think it should come out shortly. So I just encourage everyone to look out for that, and you know we'll keep everyone posted as well as um, this project progresses. Great. So it sounds like since we're still waiting for a new exposure draft, that people definitely should stay focused on the existing guys, yeah. at least yeah. for the foreseeable mm -hmm. future. Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Very sure. helpful. Thanks. To our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this discussion with Suzanne as much as I did. I'll definitely have her back as this FASB project continues. In the meantime, please check out our podcast page on cfodirect.com. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to our podcast series on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find your content. And we'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. I hope you'll join me here again next week as I interview PwC partner CJ Finn to discuss lessons learned from implementation of the revenue standard. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.